ask that you would help us this morning. We ask that you would help us to believe and to feel the glorious truths of your Scripture. That we not just would feel it and believe it, but we would obey it and delight in it, and it would transform all of our lives. I pray this morning that you would feed us with your food, manna from heaven, that would minister to our souls and believe the truth that you've given to us, and that we would be transformed. God, I pray that we would live in in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We would walk in light of the supremacy of Jesus Christ, and we'd find joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to faith. It is great to worship with you this morning. There are a lot of announcements, and I want to, among all things, welcome you in Christ's name, as as that's what the gospel does. It welcomes all people to the Father through Jesus Christ, and if you are new or visiting, or you're, you're seeking, you're saying, hey, I want to know if, if, if faith should be the church that I should be coming to, if God's leading me here, would you let us know um, how we can connect with you by taking the orange card, filling that out, we'll send you an email, we'll send you a letter, we would, if you want us to follow up, we'll connect with you, we want to get to know you, and so welcome. And, and there's an opportunity. If you're here and you wanted to get involved in the church, there's also a card for you to sign up for nursery, children's ministry, worship ministry, those type of things. That would be a help to us. Now, I have a lot of announcements here. I'm just going to go through them quick. First of all, there I think there's a Super Bowl or go, something going on. Uh, I asked Chuck, or someone asked Chuck who he wants to win the Super Bowl. He said the Lions. And, and everyone said, well, you can't do that. They're not playing. He said, you didn't ask me that. You said, who do I want to win the Super Bowl? Um, Cairndoffs are having the teams there tonight at 6 o'clock. The college and career will be at the Scouts. And so those parties are going on. I'm going to quickly go through these things. We have a sledding party all by faith because we don't know if we'll have snow. Um, but by faith, we have something scheduled for February 17th. And um, if I, I assume that if... That there is no snow, there will probably be some type of alternative gathering. Laser tag. You don't need snow for that. Um, so that's going to be the 17th. Then right then, that's then on the 19th. So the 17th is a Wednesday night, right? Then on, on that Friday night, we're having a family time, especially for those kids that are in faith kids. So really under f- fifth grade and under, and their families will be invited for that. Friday evening to come at 7 o'clock. There's a men's breakfast and study that I'll be leading this, as we do it once a month, it'll be coming this Saturday morning, so join us at 8 o'clock right here, Fellowship Hall, we're going to 8 o'clock this Saturday, Uh, you don't want to miss it, and then some of you need to be baptized, some of you have even talked to me this week, especially some kids that are are, are trusting in Jesus Christ. They want to be obedient to what God has said. And we're talking about baptism. If you're interested in being baptized, would you contact me or one of the pastoral staff about that this week? Because our plan is to have it next Sunday, Sunday the 14th. And so we look forward to seeing the gospel of Jesus in, the, in water baptism. And so we'll, we'll be having that next Sunday during the worship service. And then you've heard about this, but we, I, I'm excited. We had a planning meeting yesterday. So the gospel according to marriage, or I have a new title. It's called the drama of marriage because if you've been married, you know that it's a drama. And 
we, we, are, we are having a small, it's, it's not a cool-sounding name, seminar, but we are having a, an event, a marriage event, on March chapter, March chapter 12. It's like, that's like 2 Corinthians. March, on March 12th, on March 12th, we were... <laughs> we are, we are going to meet. We are having an afternoon into evening event. We're having an afternoon into evening event on March 12th, and it's going to be on the drama of marriage, really, on God's drama of what He puts on display and the fundamentals of what marriage is all about. But we're just going to have a few hours. I'm going to be leading. I'm going to be the main teaching for that, and then we're going to punctuate it with a with a dinner at a restaurant we're going to go to. So we're going to have that. That's for if you're married, want to get married, you're engaged, or, or even just you're maybe a couple and say, hey, I just want to come and find out what God's plan is for marriage. Come and join us. We, we need you to sign up. We're going to have registration cards for that so we can get a list next week. Um, we're going to be saying a lot more about that. Our, the most that it's going to cost will be $50. It's going to be books and other things that are going to be given as part of that registration, that we need for an entire couple. And so put that on your calendar, March 12th. Last thing is a fighter verse. Great passage of scripture. Every week it is, but Mark, at Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, is the, at the, after the gospel is declared, we're called to live this out. Did anybody memorize Romans 12, 1 and 2 this week and like to say it for me? Anybody, anybody work on it this week? If you did, raise your hand. Let's work on, we, every week we have a fighter verse. Next week it's shorter, so I expect you all to memorize it. Psalm 56, 34. Let's, let's say this together. Let's say Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, if you could read it with me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. Okay, before we go, I'm going to pray, and I have a few prayer requests to share with you that I need you to be praying for. But before we do that, I want to give a a quick family talk. If, If you're new to faith, you can just listen. Uh, but this, this is more for the church family to ask you to pray for and to, to just to examine yourself. Uh, because it's easy for you to go, oh, this is just another I want your money talk. And that's not what this is. I, I want God's grace in your life and in our life. Um, each week, we take an offering. We're going to take an offering at the end of the service. And actually, we take two on communion Sundays. We, we pass around a basket. We're going to do that in a little bit. And that basket, we we give our we give gifts that will go to the Grace Fund that helps others in this congregation that has special needs or has a financial need that we can be a blessing to them. And God has used that in the lives of many of you, and I know He will continue to do that. We also take an offering every week, usually towards the end of the service, which is for our general fund. It, it also goes to our missionaries. We, we designate it to missionaries, and we. We support missionaries, we support the pastors, we support the physical needs of this church, and God is always providing.
It's been challenging at times, but we've seen God provide. And, and once again, we're at a place where we ask that God would provide. Um, we've had some very good offerings this, this year, and there's been some ones that have been hard. And this last week, we're a little bit short, and we haven't been able to pay all the salaries. And so would you pray? If you don't know, you don't know. And so I need to say, hey, we do need God to provide once again. And so would you join us by responding to that as God leads you? Because the Bible teaches at least five ways that which God's people who have been saved by His grace give. It, it's, it's, we, we don't guilt people into giving, and you don't go to get saved because of give, giving, or you don't get extra works because of righteousness because of giving. You give in response to God's love. But the five ways that God talks about giving, He says you give willfully and cheerfully, not under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver, and they just give out of the abundance of their joy. You give as a regular pattern. Paul said to them, as you meet on the first day of the week, you should make contributions to the poor. Or we give according to our ability, in proportionate to our ability. That was the tithe in the Old Testament. They gave 10% of all they had went to the Lord. And and we we give according to how God has blessed us in a type of proportion. We We should think that way. And I tell you what, God always provides those who prioritize that. God also calls us to give generously. One of the testimony in the old in the New Testament church is you had really poor people in Corinthian in, in Macedonia, which were probably in Philippi, and they gave out of their poverty. They didn't even they they would say, God, give us money so we can give it away to the poor, give it to those that are in need, and God always provided for them, and we give sacrificially. We give when it sometimes hurts, gives us a step of faith, and then we say, God, thank you for providing. So, with that in mind, would you continue to partner with us in prayer and with thanksgiving to God, because all that we have is God's already. God will provide because of God's grace and because of His grace. But I want you to know that. So, before I pray, I'm going to pray for God's provision. I'm praying for God's provision in your life. Would you? There's two burdens on my heart. One is a Lee, I just talked to Lee Monday on the phone, and Lee's little granddaughter. And it's not just their granddaughter. We were all connected. It's the great granddaughter for Alice and Roger. And, I mean, there's all these connections here. But um, little Skylar, who was born a little over a week ago, um, was having some complications. And last last night, three times her heart stopped beating. They don't know why they're going to do brain scans to see if it's behind the source. They were about to send her home, at least later this week. So they do not do not know. So pray, pray for the parents are Samantha and Jacob, and, and little Skylar's the baby girl. And you need to pray for this, their family and pray for little Skylar. Secondly, Steve Spencer, the member here, lives just right, right across the yard here. Steve uh, has had horrible headaches for about a week. Can't see out of one of his eyes. They think he had a ruptured blood vessel, and he's been vomiting and staying up all night. He's, and they're going to probably take him in this morning. So we need to pray that God will give him relief and healing. He's our, our dear brother. So we, but I know those are a reminder that you have burdens, you have concerns in your own life and those that are dear to you. And we have to lift them up to God. So I'm going to do that, asking God to minister to us. We're going to have communion after we have a song. We're going to sing and then have communion. And I'll say a few words about that. And I'm, I'm glad we are. And we need God's 
God, we come and we ask you to glorify your name and to be hallowed in this service. Would you honor your name? Would you lift up your son's name through all that we are and all that we do in our giving and in our praying and our obeying and our living and our in all that we do? I pray even in our singing right now, we worship you and that you would cause our hearts to turn to you. God, I know that there are young people in this room that are are fourth graders. There are seventh graders and tenth graders. There's teens. There are those that are young parents. There's old parents. There are senior citizens. There are people at all different walks of life this morning. They're feeling their great need of something else than they have right now. They're yearning for something. They're yearning for fulfillment. And, and, and some of them know they need it from you alone. But, oh God, this morning, show us our need for you. We, we feel the brokenness of this world as we lift up little Skylar, and we ask that you would heal her. We ask that you would be with Jacob and Samantha, and you'd be with their little daughter, and I pray that you would sustain her life. Would you heal her body? And I pray that you would allow her to go home soon and, God, do a mighty work in her life. And be with all her family, her grandparents, and both guys. And God, just please do a work. God, this morning, be with Steve Spencer. I pray that you would heal his body. I pray for his headache. I pray that you would help get just all that's going on in his body, which we don't, which he does not know, the doctors do not know. Again, I pray that you would give relief. God, I pray that you heal us spiritually for those that are feeling so broken over their sin, maybe feeling persistent guilt. For those that feel really good about themselves but shouldn't, I pray, God, that you would allow the gospel to humble them so that they would find true joy in you and you alone. Help us not to be self-righteous or self-confident, but Christ-confident. I pray, God, that you would uh, give us this daily bread Forgive us our sins and protect us from temptation and evil. God, we thank you. For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power and the glory forever. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread with his disciples, and he took wine with his disciples, and he gave it to them, and he said, This is my body, this is my blood. Take and eat and drink. And, and this means something. And you're going to you're gonna do this. And, and later on, he told, Paul, the apostle, spoke of this, and he was revealed that we, we take of this meal in order to remember Christ's death, to proclaim his death. And, and we call this supper, this meal, the Lord's table or the Lord's supper, and he invites all his children to come. He invites his God's children come, Jesus' his brothers, sisters, his, those that have been saved by him, that have been united to him, they come, and he says, Here's my meal. You come and do it often. And when you come, think of it, you are being nourished in what brings you life. And what brings us life is faith in God. We were saved by faith. As we've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. We received Him by faith. We walk in Him by faith. And this meal is not some magical meal that there's something magical in the bread or something magical in the juice that gives us a spiritual zap. No. But we as God's people, in obedience 
to Christ, we come and we take this symbolic meal and we say, His body really did it for me. And His blood really took away my sins. And I am right with God. I am reconciled. I was was an enemy with God. That's how the Bible describes me. And He came and He made me a child of God because of what Jesus did, His Son did, on the cross Calvary. And so we come and we celebrate it. We come and we, we, this is not a, actually, this is not a funeral meal. This is not a grieving meal. This, it's a sober meal. It's a serious meal. But we come and we thank Him. We go, thank you for this food. Thank you for Jesus for providing. Maybe my life is in you. My salvation is you. I'm going to live forever because of you. And I, in fact, my ability to keep believing in you and trusting in you so that I would walk by faith day by day comes from you. God means to nourish us this morning as we continue to trust what he did on the cross and we actually take something and we remember it by eating it and drinking it. You do not have to be a member of faith. You don't have to be a regular attender of faith, but you do need to be a Christian Christian as we believe the scripture defines it. Is someone who has received God's gift of salvation, the gospel, by faith and is completely trusting in Christ for that salvation not in yourself or any other thing. We believe that when that happens, you should show, confess that that real faith and that repentance or turning away from your own ability to do anything and accepting Him. You should mark that by what God has called baptism. In fact, all those that are believers, they get baptized. And that baptism is a symbol of, I was in the waters of baptism, I died with Christ, because that's what happened when I believed in Him. I died with Christ, and I'm now alive with Christ. Just as He rose from the dead, I am raised with Him in newness of life. And so, we're gonna. I'm gonna invite you to come. I'm gonna. We, what we do here is, if you're if you're new to this, we we make our lines on the side, and we come through here, and you take a piece of bread, and take a cup, and then go back to your seat, and then after that, I will lead you in eating and drinking uh, of the of the communion meal. We do have. If you are here and you're saying, you know, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian, or I'm not sure if I should take, it's okay. You can stay in your seat and pray, and we have a, a little sheet here that would guide you. It, uh, it, I would encourage you to read this. We're just really thrilled that you're here, because this is part of God's work in bringing you to himself. And, and he is at work in your life. And so, I want to, before we, before I have you come, and before I'm going to have the deacons come in just a minute, I, I want you to think about what Jesus did on the cross for you and me and for everyone who received it. It says that we were buried with Him in baptism. And what He's saying is in our baptism, it symbolizes that we were buried with Him because something in us needed to die. We needed, we needed death we, because we were corrupt. We were buried with Him in baptism in which you were raised with Him through faith. You were raised through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands 
this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. On the cross, that's what this symbolizes. What Jesus did was he took all of those, all of our sins, past, present, future. He took all our sins. He nailed them on the cross. He took them and he says, I take care of you. All of the legal demands, all the legal demands that we're going to convict you, that you have a guilty conscience for. He said, I satisfied those demands on the cross. You just believe in me. You just put your trust in me. So this morning, if you have a guilty conscience, confess your sins to God, but look to him and believe that he says he'll do what he says he'll do. He forgives you. The sins you will remember no more. And come and come and take this meal by faith and with thanksgiving. And if you have something against someone here, confess that to God and make that right. This meal symbolizes that we're a family. Families don't eat together. And I ask you, they eat together together in unity. Because they have been rescued. They've been rescued by Christ Jesus. And so, why don't, why don't you all stand? I'm going to avoid... Invite, um, I'm going to invite the deacons to come. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come. The musicians are going to play, and we're going to come forward and give communion. God, thank you for this gift. Now help us as we take this and remember your Son's death and your love to us. One correction from, I think, the list that either on the bulletin or printed. The women, there's the women dine out is this week at Feb, on February 9th at 6 o'clock, not 6.30 as listed. And so they couldn't wait. They need to go at 6 o'clock, not 6.30. So, and where is that? The Fenton House. Okay. 6 o'clock this Tuesday. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. You have that text in your bulletin if you need, but Colossians 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 15, we're going to look at the paragraph of verses 15 through 20. And look at these verses this morning, and I pray that God would minister to us through them. We're going paragraph by paragraph, or a few verses at a time, through Colossians, and we are now to Colossians 1, chapter 15 through 20. I want you to look look at that with me as I read it to you, and then pray. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him, that's Jesus, in Him all The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to Himself all things, 
whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. So, Father, please help me. Please help us in this room this morning to hear and to understand and to believe and to treasure and obey all that you have for us. Where else should we go, Lord? Where else should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I pray that we would believe that. We would believe the one who has the words of eternal life, Jesus. Comfort the brokenhearted. Strengthen the weak. Feed the hungry. Make hungry those who are not. And God, bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I want to ask you this question. Who or what are you looking for the answer to the question of who's going to be your savior? We watched. I watched the Republican debate for a good amount of time last night, and I watched one candidate after another. You could have watched that on Thursday night as well, I believe it was. You could watch one candidate after another make a claim that they are the answer to the problem. Vote for me, because we will turn this country around. Vote for me, because we will do this. Vote for me, because this. Because I can do this. And it's easy for us to watch these things. We listen to these politicians making And we could easily gravitate to one candidate or another and say, yes, I believe so-and-so is the answer. He is the man of the hour. He is the woman of the hour. He is the person. She is the person that can actually lead this government or lead this country to do this. We easily do that in our lives for a lot of things. Because we feel a need. We feel this there's something broken and I need it fixed. I'm a parent and I need to be a good parent and I struggle with being a good parent and I need some book or some source or some answer, some silver bullet that will help me get that fulfill, fulfillment so that I can be that good parent or I'm a spouse or I'm, I'm a person. I, I want to be happy. I want to have satisfaction and I want that one thing I'm going after. It's that self-help book. Or it's that one lecture that I just need to listen to. Or it's this diet. This diet will help me. And if I have this diet, I will, I will be in shape and I will get, I will, my body will be renewed. Or I'll have this. And we are grasping over things that will fulfill us or be the answer. In, in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul writes a small and humble church And he says to them, I am so thrilled with what I heard that God is doing. And I heard it through the person that is your friend and who brought the the very first message of Jesus to your little town. And everything changed in in your group. And in fact, the gospel is spreading all among you. And you received the gospel and you actually turned away. And you are now 
bearing fruit. You are growing, and and you because you hope in something so big. You hope in the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. You hope that Jesus is the King, and He has come, and He's done something forever that will change everything. You put your hope in that, and it's changing the way you treat one another. You start you're living in a different way. And He says, "I am thankful to God that that's happening." He says, "And it's and I am." praying that it will grow. I'm praying that that hope in your heart, that hope in your heart that not a politician came on the scene, that you said, he's the man that will turn this country around, or turn my religion around, or turn my life around, or my economics around, or my family around. But a hope came, and you believed in it, and it transformed you, that something new in the world was taking place. And, and, and it took root. And all of a sudden, I, he says, and he writes to the Colossians, and he says, in the early chapter, he says, and what happens is, I'm praying that you'll become like this, he, he, imagine a metaphor of like a tree, an oak tree. A saw, I mean, an oak tree is not some wimpy tree. It grows to be a hardwood. It's strong. And it go, the roots go deep. And so Paul's saying, I pray that you will be like this oak tree, that your roots will go way deep. You will increase in the knowledge of God. Chapter 2, he says that you'll be rooted and grounded and established in Jesus Christ. He says, I, you, he says I, I pray that you'll do that, that you'll be like this tree that will go so deep in what God has for you, and in the gospel, the message that changed your life, that that hope will go so deep, and you'll go up and tall, and you'll reach out with big branches and leaves and fruit, and that fruit will be love to one another. It'll be kindness and forgiveness. It'll be you'll be a fruit bearing in every good work, and you will be solid. And your that trunk will be thick and solid and a sure foundation, so that when the wind comes, that tree won't blow over. You will be strengthened with all might according to His mighty work for patience and endurance. So He's saying this. He says, "I want that for you." But what is the center of all this? At the end of last week's passage, Paul says, and I want you to be a Christian that's just overflowing with gratitude. You're, you have, you're just giving thanks with joy. You, you, are, you, are tra- you are a change. Have you seen those type of people? That, I mean, they're not faking it. I mean, I brought this up at Christmas, but you see it in the illustration of the Christmas carol with, with Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge. There's quite a contrast between the early Scrooge and the late Scrooge. The late Scrooge is the post-Christmas Scrooge, or the Christmas Day Scrooge. He wakes up on Christmas Day, and he's a different person. He's a really thankful person. He's been given a second chance. He has received the grace of a second chance. He sees everything different. He's running around, giving things away, and he's not being forced to do it. He's not doing it out of duty. He's doing it out of delight because he is thankful. And Paul says, you, I pray that you'll be truly thankful people, and the ground of that thankfulness is not some fake, made-up kind of wishful thinking. It's because you have been transformed. You were transformed. You were brought from a kingdom of darkness when you were an enemy of God. You were, you were on a fast route to hell. You were spinning on that treadmill of futility and emptiness 
always grasping, never getting, always going, and Jesus came in. And he brought you into the kingdom of his dear, beloved son. He says it that way. This passage makes us stop and go, I need to know more about this beloved son in whose kingdom I am now Pay attention to these these few verses. These few verses are not just a, a, a nice little lesson on theology. Theology is the study of God. They're not. We we look at these passages and we're going to see a lot of things. Like look look at them. He says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? He's the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? And then some things that might seem a little clear. All things are created by Him and for Him. He is before all things. All things are held together by Him. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. And in Him, everything must be preeminent. He's the fullness of God. He, He reconciles all things by His cross. What Christianity claims is that those who come to God through Jesus, they, they come to God through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And they find that in Jesus, He is an all-supreme and all-sufficient Savior. They come to Him, and He changes their lives. This is not just a lesson on, on truths about Jesus that we should pack away in our brain in case anybody asks us, what do you know about Jesus? Here are some lists of things about Jesus. This is a list of things that we are meant to start to take in and start to go, if that's the case, and he's related to me this way, that means the way I fear is completely different. The way I worry is completely different. The way I view life is completely different. The way I feel secure can be completely different. The way I look after the things of this world is completely different. The way I don't have to grasp after something else because I have somebody that has already grasped hold of me, and that's completely different. What this is meant to make us do is we are to grow, as we grow in Jesus, we start to realize Jesus is all that. And the claim of Christianity, the claim of the gospel, the claim that all of us, if you're a Christian here, or you're seeking to be a Christian, or wondering what that's about, It is centered in what God did through Jesus on the cross. And it is all about what Jesus, who Jesus is, and what he's done. His person and his work. And what I want us to see here this morning is what is the center of our hope. I've said a few weeks ago that there's a hope that is to spring up in us that changes everything. It, It is not a hope that says, I hope the Lions win the Super Bowl next year. That is a that is a hope that we could have but we wouldn't be promised of it, right? But there's a hope of the Christian that is anchored on something that is unchangeable and is fully trustworthy and that is focused on one man, Jesus Christ. And I want us to see that this morning. Who is the center of our hope? It's the King. The King that has transformed us or transferred us from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son. God did that. He did it through His beloved Son. 
And so we're all, if we're Christians, and some of you might say, I'm not sure if I am, come, come to it today. He may, call, he may be calling you right now to receive Christ Jesus as you hear this truth about Jesus. But to do that, I want you to see who Jesus is by the two important responses that we are to have to Jesus' kingship. So, Jesus is the king. I, I'm, Jesus is the king in the line of David. He was, he's at the right hand of the Father right now. He is by God's right hand. That means he's been, And it says that all authority and all power and all dominion has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And then he commanded the disciples to go preach the gospel, and it spread all over the earth. It spread in Colossians, and it was in, the, in Colossae, and it spread all over. Paul says it, it is growing and bearing fruit everywhere because Jesus is king. And Jesus is king in this room, and he's king in this country. He's king in this world. Jesus is overall. And this passage says that he is king. He is overall. He's the kingdom that we've been, come, we've been transferred into. And that means two things. Here's the first thing I want you to see. We're not going to take every little bit piece of this, though it's worth doing that. We're just not going to be able to do that in this time. But I want you to see two main things. One is that King Jesus is the supreme Lord who is owed our entire allegiance. This is might not be, this is probably not a new truth for you, but we need to hear it. King Jesus is the supreme Lord who is owed, who is owed our entire allegiance. In these verses... You cannot look at these, these few verses, 15 through 21, and not see that Jesus is declared to be supreme. Supreme means overall, superior, with full authority, power, majesty. He is top, overall, first place. There is no ruler like him. He not only is overrules, he made all other rulers. He is, and what we find in these passages, in this passage, that Jesus is supreme, or we call it the supremacy of Christ, in all creation and over all the new creation. If you look at these verses, we find Paul saying, He is supreme over all that was created, but then he makes a shift. When he says in verse 18, and he's the head of the church. You know what the church is? It's the new creation. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So he's over new creation, old creation, all creation. And he makes some very clear statements. In this passage, he says he is absolutely supreme. And that his supremacy, his overallness means, at least he says it in four ways. First, he's the firstborn all creation. You might look at that and go, wait a minute. I, I think I know what I believe, and I know that Jesus is God. He's not created. He's not created like some people and some sects would believe. But this says he's the firstborn of all creation. That sounds like he was the first created. That's not what it means. From our in, in our English and even American 21st century culture, it could sound that way. In Jesus' time, and when Paul's time, when he wrote, firstborn had two meanings. It could mean, like, my firstborn is Grace, that, or my firstborn son is Paul. That's what I mean, firstborn of my family. That's how we often think of it now today. But in Jesus' time, in Paul's time, a firstborn 
also had a different meaning. It meant, firstborn meant rank, first place, receiving all rank or priority or preeminence or over everything, and that is exactly what he means, because he's going to right away say that all things were created by him. If all things were created by him, did he create himself? He, he is not, he's saying, he is, and so he starts by saying, he is the firstborn of all creation. What he means is, he is preeminent, he is over, he is first in rank, first of honor, first in all things, over the created order. But then, in fact, he's going to say, over rulers and authorities and powers. That means all angels and demons in that time. And we see throughout Scripture, God allowed certain spiritual forces to move sinful nations to rebel against God. And in fact, you come into the New Testament, if you read the New Testament, you read, just take the book of Mark, just 16 chapters, wouldn't take you long. You start reading, you go, man, there's a lot of spiritual warfare here. There's, I mean, there's casting out of demons, and there's demons attack, basically accusing Jesus of something and this and that. So what's going on? It, this is a very spiritual world, and, and there are spiritual forces. Jesus came, and in his coming to earth was the beginning of a new order where Jesus came and he said, I am over it all. I am over all powers and authorities. They, they were all in, they were shuddering at his presence. They were intimidated by it. And in fact, we're going to see in the next chapter, Colossians 2, because the Colossians were actually struggling over this. They were thinking, you know, okay, we came to Christ by him, but we need something to fill us up, to really get us complete in God. And that means we need angels, and we need some others to do some work. And Paul's going to say, no, you don't need any of that. I, I am, it's all complete in me. But he's going to say, on the cross, he defeated all spiritual forces that were against him. Completely. He put them to public shame. He was, it was like they thought they had the last laugh on Jesus. Jesus had the last laugh on him at the cross. The very thing they thought they were getting God on was their death. Was the end of them. Okay, so Jesus is, first of all, he's declared as firstborn. Second, he is creator. What that means is in the scriptures, by the word of his mouth, he created everything. He says all things were created by him. Everything in on this earth was created by Jesus Christ. There is not one thing that's not created. Jesus, it is astounding to think. It is absolutely amazing to ponder the reality that Jesus who came as a baby, was the creator of the universe. Every single person here was created by God. Every single thing in this earth, in this world, every all material existence is created by Jesus Christ. Not just God, but His Son, Jesus. We also see that Jesus is the goal of everything. Jesus is the purpose of every single thing. The purpose of the Republican convention last night, or debate, and the Democratic debate is Jesus Christ. That wasn't, by the way, I'm not saying that was the Democratic Party or the Republican Party's purpose, but that's God's purpose. Everything on this earth is God bringing 
a purpose in Jesus. See, we don't see it right now. We have, because of the world we live in, things are invisible. We're blind to certain things, but if we could put on the lenses that God would give by faith, in fact, to see the unseen that we can't see, we would see that God is doing 10,000 things. Have you ever, have you ever, have you ever had a situation in life where something happens and you go, I, I have no Okay, I think I see why this happened. This and this. This is why it happened. I can see God's hand in that. And then 10 years later, you go, and that happened, and that happened, and that happened because of that one decision. And then 10 years later, and that happened, and that happened. God is, in everything that happens in our life, God, God probably has 10,000 things that He's doing and orchestrating behind the scenes that we'll never see. We might find five reasons. But God is at work. He, he, in this, Jesus is at work, and it says that not only is he the goal of every, meaning he is the goal of that he would be shown as all glorious. So the world would look and say, Hail King Jesus, the Lamb of God who is slain, who is Savior of the world. He is supreme being. He is the supreme Lord. I must give my entire allegiance to him. Jesus is in the process of doing the Super Bowl ultimately exists by him. That doesn't mean people are playing the Super Bowl for Jesus' sake, but the Super Bowl exists, in this passage says, for the purpose of him. It's for him. All things are for him. Even the plans of man, we can look throughout Scripture and say, that was a plan of man. They had an evil intent. Yes, but God turned it for good. God God had a plan to bring about his glory in Jesus Christ. And it says he is the sustainer of all things. This is amazing. It says that in, in this passage, we see that all created order, everything in this world, all of it, he, all things hold together in him. Every atom and molecule is held together in him. I, I came across recently something that John Piper wrote in, on the supremacy of Christ. And he said, I, I want you to hear a few of these things. As it just expands on what Jesus is. This is Jesus. The supremacy of his deity, equal with God the Father and all his attributes. The supremacy of his eternality. He makes the mind of man explode with the unsearchable fact, thought that Christ never had a beginning, but simply always was. He's never changing. His constancy is always the same, same yesterday, today, and forever. The supremacy of Jesus Christ's knowledge that makes the Library of Congress look like a matchbook. And all the information on the internet look like a little 1940s farmer's almanac. And quantum physics and everything Stephen Hawking ever dreamed seemed like a first grade reader. That's Jesus' supremacy of knowledge. Or the supremacy of his authority over heaven and earth and of hell without whose permission no man or no demon can move one inch, who changes times and seasons, he removes kings and he sets up other kings, who does according to his will among the host of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth, so that none can stay his hand or say, what have you done? Or his providence, without which not one single bird falls to the ground, in the furthest reaches of the Amazon forest, or a single hair of a head turns black or white white without his care. Or the supremacy of his word that moment by moment upholds the universe and upholds in 
being all the molecules and atoms and subatomic worlds we have never dreamed yet of. The supremacy of his power to walk on water, to cleanse lepers, to heal the lame, to open the eyes of the blind, to cause the deaf to hear and storms to cease, the dead to rise with a single word. Or even a song. Or the supremacy of Jesus' purity. He never sinned. Or not had one millisecond of a bad attitude. Or an evil, lustful thought. Or his trustworthiness to never break a word or let a promise fall to the ground. Or his justice, the supremacy of his justice to render in due time all moral accounts in the universe settled either on the cross or in hell. The supremacy of his patience to endure, endure our sinfulness to still have mercy on us. The supremacy of his sovereignty over all things in the cross of Jesus Christ. It is amazing. says it this way, he is Jesus, the, our king that you're called today to follow is supreme in every admirable way over everything. Over galaxies and endless reaches of space. Over earth and from the top of Mount Everest 29,000 feet up to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean 36,000 feet down to the Mariana Trench. He is supreme over all plants and animals. From the peaceful blue whale the microscopic killer viruses, over the weather and movements of the earth, to hurricanes and tornadoes, monsoons, earthquakes, avalanches, floods, snow, rain. He's over chemical processes that heal and destroy cancer and AIDS and malaria and flu and all the working of antibiotics and thousand healing medicines. He is supreme over all countries and all governments and all armies, over Al-Qaeda or ISIS, over bin, we over, over bin Laden in the past, or any other rising leader. He is supreme over all politics and elections. He is supreme over all media and news and entertainment and sports and leisure, over all education and universities and scholarship and science and research, over all the internet and information systems, as Abraham Kuyper used to say, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of the human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That is our king. And Paul says it makes a radical difference in your life to know that he, not you, he, not someone in this world, he, not anybody that will come to you and say, I have the answer. It's the only answer is the supremacy of Jesus, our Lord, in which we say, all my allegiance now goes to you, Jesus. All my allegiance goes to you. The proper response to hear this is to go, my allegiance goes to you. What does it mean that my allegiance goes to Christ? My allegiance goes to him. It is to say, I give you my all. My devotion is to you. I obey you. I must bow the knee in obedience to you. If your word commands me and corrects me, I must follow it. Because you are Lord, not myself. You are Lord, not something else. The world is going to have philosophies and teachings that will say, this is what you need for yourself, for you to be happy. And we say, no, God's word is what our authority. 
God's word is our plan. And Paul wants us to know this. That number one, that King Jesus is the supreme Lord and we owe our entire allegiance to him. But, but that leads to a second implication that, that makes all the difference today in your life. And that's this. G- King Jesus is also the sufficient Savior who is owed our entire reliance. If Jesus is that supreme Lord that we bow the knee to, he's not this, this wretched tyrant that, yes, we have to obey, but I guess we have to, but I'm not going to like it, but I have to or else he'll crush me. He's also a sufficient Savior who is owed our entire we owe our entire reliance, and we can trust Him. In verse 19, we see that His person is in us. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. His person is enough to, to give us what we truly need. He is all of God, and in God, He can give us all. All that I just said, he, He's over all. He's over the church. He's head of the church. We're going to see this another time. We're going to see this more clearly later on about him being the head of the church. He is over all creation. In verse 20, he says his work is sufficient. We see his work is sufficient. On the cross, he reconciled to himself all things. It means he all, all things that were not right in theory, they're, going to, they're all being made right. We don't see it as it is now, but it will come. All things will be reconciled. All things will be made right. All tear removed. All justices will be done. All things will be made right. And he says, rely on me. Rely upon me. Trust in me. Bow down to me. Look to me. The whole story of Colossians is a letter saying, so you've received Christ. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. As you've received Christ, so walk in him. You received him, and you learned that he was the supreme Lord of the world. That all, he defeated all those enemies on the cross. And in fact, doing that, he defeated your greatest enemy, which was your sin that kept you from God. And he brought you to God. So as you've received him, so live with him. Live every day, letting those truths impact everything else. Live, (coughs) live knowing that he is supreme over everything. And be rooted in Him. Be grounded in Him. Be established abounding in thanksgiving. So the second thing is, He is, so He's supreme. He's overall. He's preeminent. He is over, you want to know the answer to what, who should get priority over everything you do? It's Jesus. And do you know who, and that leads to, do you know who's enough for you? He's enough for you. You don't need something else. He's enough for you. God gave you relationships. He's given you a spouse, possibly, or maybe not. He's given you family, some close, some not. Those are meant to be a gift, but they aren't what Jesus can give you. Jesus is sufficient for what we truly need, and ultimately the most, the greatest need is eternal life and salvation. Okay, the implications of this. How do we live this out? What does this mean tomorrow? What does this mean on Monday morning? What does this mean this afternoon? What does this mean in how we think and how we parent and how we go to school and how we grow up and think about the future? If Jesus is Lord over all, if He made all, if He sustains all, and is He enough for all, 
what does that mean? I, I read this I read this story. I, I think this is really important. I want you to think about your life. You might say, I need this fixed. It's not right. My marriage, it's not right. My my life, I feel so frustrated, so stressed out, so anxious. It's not right. Or you're a student, you're saying, Man, I don't know what I don't know if this I don't know what's going on in my life. I hear this from my parents, I hear this from church, I hear this, all this. What's going on in life? I mean, I, I want to believe Jesus, but you feel overwhelmed. The answer to this passage is look to the Savior. He's enough. You could trust in him. He went to the cross. He is the sustainer of all things. And I want, here's an illustration. Some years ago, a South American company purchased, this is years ago before uh, the ease of telephones even, a South American company purchased a fine printing press from a firm in the United States. And after it had been shipped and completely assembled, the workmen could not get it to operate properly. The most knowledgeable personnel tried to remedy the difficulty and bring it to into proper adjustment but to no avail. Finally, the company wired a message to the manufacturer asking them that the company send a representative immediately to fix it. Sensing the urgency of the request, the U.S. firm chose the person who had designed the press. When he arrived on the scene, the South American officials were skeptical. The young man was obviously wet behind the ears in their perspective. And after some discussion, they sent this cable to the manufacturer. Your man is too young. Send a more experienced person. The reply came back. He made the machine. He can fix it. The implications of this text is he made you. He can fix you. He made this universe. He fixes it. He made you and sustains you. He looked Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life? Look to the one who made all those things and has made you his own. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, Jesus said, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father, and even the hairs of your heads are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are far more value than many sparrows. Jesus is enough. The Supreme One has made it. The Supreme One sustains it. The Supreme One is overall, and He has done the major work. This is how I want I want to close with this. We we know a lot of times the right biblical answer. I have a hard task. I need God to help me with that task. And I think you know that, and that's a right perspective. But Paul is going to move us to a greater understanding of what does it mean that he, his work is sufficient for me to live, and I need to walk in his supremacy. What does it mean to walk in his supremacy? I like the story in 1 Samuel 17 of David. Do you? Remember David? He, he's not a king yet. He was anointed to be king, but David was told uh, to go bring food to his his older brothers who were in the army, and he goes there, and he finds out that there's this 
menacing giant named Goliath who is mocking the armies of the Lord. He's mocking the king of the Lord, which is Saul. He's mocking them. He is saying, he's, he's saying, I defy the, the armies of the Lord God Yahweh. He's defying them. And what you find in 1 Samuel 17 is Saul is quaking. He's the king, but he, he's afraid of this giant because this giant is saying, come out and match me one-on-one, and whoever wins has victory for the whole nation. Saul won't do it. Saul doesn't have any, any of his own army that will do it. In fact, it says in a verse that when, Saul, when the Philistine did it again, it describes it that and all, Saul and all the Israelites trembled with fear. And you know what happened. David comes out and says, I, I said, I, God help me in the past. I can't let this happen. He comes out and he goes and he takes five smooth stones and he goes out there. And you know what he does? He doesn't need five smooth stones. He takes one, puts it in his sling. And, just, and after the giant says, what is this dog that you sent me? And David says, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come in the name of the Lord and the God, my God. And he slays the giant. And to punctuate it, he cuts his head off. And there's victory. Now we hear that story, we might go, okay, I have, a, I have a giant in my life. The giant might be the pain in my family, or the pain in my past, or the pain in a relationship, or the pain of, I have a sin and it's besetting it. Nobody else knows, but it's just, it's just killing me. All of these things. And I, I guess I need to take those five smooth stones, or I need to take God, and in God's name I can do it. Or you, you could, I could spiritualize it and say, you, in your marriage you need the five smooth stones of communication, Christ first, all of that, and spiritualize that. And, you know, there would be some good truth in that. That's not the point of the passage. But it's easy for me to hear that story and go, man, I need to be like him. I need, I need to be like David. And a little guy with God could be the giant. But I'm not David in the story. Neither are you. I'm not David in the story. You want to know where I am in the story and where you're in the story? It's the part when it said, Goliath said, I defy you. And he says, and Saul and all the Israelites trembled with fear. That's where I am in the story. But where it gets real good is when I start to realize that I am in the story that when Goliath was slain, those trembling soldiers of the Israelites got up and with joy started running and enjoying the victory. Because someone else enjoyed the victory. Someone else defeated the Goliath so they, that they could never defeat. That is the story of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That is the story of the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That on the cross... Jesus was that David, the true dragon killer, that killed our greatest enemy, which was death and sin. He did it all for us. And so in anything, the story, the person in our story that we can most relate to is not, da- is not David that we're like David, but we're like Israelites who said, I can't do it, I need a David. Jesus is our David. Jesus is your David this week. Jesus, the one who made all, sustains all, is in all. He is the true David. He is the son of David. 
us to enslave our truest enemy. And we never, we, we're weak. We're losers like the Israelites. And yet we have a Savior who only accepts losers that say, I can't do it on my own. You must do it. And all of Colossians is about walking in the supremacy of Jesus. It's saying, Jesus, you've done it. I, wa- I, I, have to, I have to learn what this means to love my neighbor. But you went before me. I can. I have to, I, I have to overcome. I, I struggle with overcoming persistent guilt from my past. You already overcame. The battle was won. I have to overcome this grief, this grief and pain, but I need to remember that all things are sustained by you, and you defeated the enemies and powers, and I have a hope that is grounded, and it goes so deep and deeper, and it's rooted in this king. My final plea to you is if you have never come to God and said, I need to be saved. I need my sins forgiven. I need to be rescued because I have a sin problem and I cannot take care of it. Come to today, Jesus. And what you do is you say, just like that in that story, you don't say, I can do the critical thing to make my sin go away. No, you say, I need, I rely on Jesus who is like that David who defeats my greatest enemy to sin. He keeps me from God and you say, God, I claim what Jesus did for me as the truest Savior done that, would you do that today? I'd love to talk to you about it, pray with you, but do that today. You can do that right now in your seat. You can do that this week. Do not delay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love to us. God, as we take this offering now, I pray that it would be a response of our joy and is no duty, mere duty, duty, there's no mere duty, it's a delight, because you have given us all, all in your Son, all belongs to you, all authority is yours, all, all the cattle on the thousand hills are yours, you say, and God, I pray that you would take and work in those this morning that need to cling to Jesus, and are not clinging to Jesus, and come and bow allegiance to King Jesus and rely on this sufficient faith because he's a Savior and he's our only Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to invite the ushers to come forward. We're going to take an offering. We're going to also sing at the same time. Um, We're going to sing and give so you can stay in your seat as we conclude. We stand at the end of the song afterwards. Let's, Let's sing. is uh, your benediction as you leave found in number six. This is uh, the word of Aaron, uh, the, the word of Moses. The people, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. Right upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace.